Welcome back to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Crack Rackets. My name's Alex Gruskin. Before we get into our episode 52 recapping day two at this year's U.S. Open, uh, a little bit of bad news on our front. So again, we will be bringing an episode to you and it will feature myself as well as Crack Rackets contributor Jamie McDonald and our super producer Max Fliegner. Uh, But unfortunately, we had a little bit of technical difficulties this week. While two of our breakdowns you'll get in full, as well as our thoughts on the heat rule being instituted and how, you know, the scoldering conditions in New York have affected play. And they really have because you've seen just so many retirements. And even in the matches that have gone deep into a fifth set, you know, half of these guys look gassed. You talk about the Taylor Fritz-Misha Zverev match from day one. I mean, Zverev was exhausted by the end, and that's really, you know, it's a shock when it's Taylor Fritz, but that played a huge factor in the match, and you're just seeing that across the board. So we got to talk about that, and then we got to break down Novak Djokovic's wins. We talked about his early struggles and, you know, how overcoming those will help him moving forward, how having to deal with adversity early on should help his prospects later on in this tournament. We also got to keep our breakdown of the Fabio Fognini-Michael Moe four-set battle, which, in my opinion, is probably the best match of the first round. I just thought the quality of play was so high. I thought Michael Moe showed so much promise and so much upside in that match, and you'll get to hear those thoughts. Unfortunately, due to our technical difficulties, we lost our breakdowns of both Mackenzie McDonald's five-set loss to Robin Hassa, as well as Francis Tiafo's four-set win over Adrian Manorino. Uh, just a couple of thoughts on those matches, just you know, so that you can get our takes. And I still have a lot of takes I want to share. So, in the Hassa McDonald match, again, that's a that's a match. Hassa wins four six four six six three six one six three. I mean, it was a tale of two different matches. Those first two sets, Mackenzie McDonald played so well. He was on top of the baseline. He was attacking returns, attacking Hassa shots early in the point of you know really moving the ball side to side, not being afraid to go down the line, moving forward quite a bit of as well. Just doing all of the things Mackenzie McDonald has to do you know, to win matches like that. Uh, You know, he's not the biggest player, but still he's able to impose his will on the match because he takes time away from his opponents. But then in the next three sets, I mean, Hassa raised his level, and unfortunately the heat did seem to get to McDonald. Uh, You know, his second serve win percentage went down for McDonald throughout the match. In the fifth set, he had only a 29% win percentage, so that's compared to 55% overall in the match. I mean, you can see his level just declined. Eight double faults in this match. He went two of four on break points, but had no break points in the last three sets of the match. I mean, it's not that Hassa played particularly well, but for Mackey, just his dip in level, it, it it was enough to where Hassa could overcome that sluggish start from himself as well as, you know, again, Mackey really was on fire. And in terms of upside, something we talked about on the podcast that unfortunately you won't be able to hear, uh, you know, it... The thoughts for Mackie, for Mackie McDonald have really changed uh, in the past six months. You look at him compared to a guy like Jared Donaldson. I mean, Mackie's ranked higher in the top 100 now. Donaldson slipped to 90. Uh, Mackie's in the top 75. So you just have to wonder, you know, is again, it's another testament to the college development. Mackie spends his time, develops his body a little bit, wins an NCAA singles title, has all of this success in college, gains the confidence in his game to know what works, what doesn't work. And now he comes on tour, and he's already a top 100 presence. And, 
you, you look at it like a guy like Donaldson and still physically that's the one area he continues to struggle so it, it just brings you back to there's so many different pathways that works and to get you to have success on the pro tour and I think college is just another one of them you have to consider if you know your game isn't quite there I think Mackey's success Steve Johnson's success John Isner's success Kevin Anderson's success it's all a testament to college being a viable pathway to the pros uh, in terms of the Tiafo match, I mean, Tiafo was just incredible. In this match, he went 6-1, 6-4, 4-6, 6-4. You know, the, the two years prior, 2016, he loses to Isner in five sets first round. Last year, he loses to Federer five sets first round. This year, he came out on fire. I mean, those first two sets were probably the best sets of tennis I've seen from Francis all year long. Served 60% of his first serves in in this match, wins 74% of those points. 54% of his second serve points. Uh, I mean, he his average serve speed, 111 first serve, 88 miles per hour second serve compared to Manorino, 107.83. I think both of the guys were really affected by the heat, and that's a, you know those low numbers are a testament to that. But for, for Tiafo, he topped out at 131. I mean, that's the firepower that you just... His upside is so evident, and it's just so exciting to watch him play. He goes 20 of 28 at the net in this match, 71%. I mean, he was just really, really solid. And for Francis, you know, the shot selection is always the biggest question because sometimes he is, you know, susceptible to playing slice games with his opponent or chipping that forehand a little more than we'd like. And in this match, he didn't do that. He was very disciplined. He realized early on, Manorino, not really capable of going forehand down the line, really likes to go uh, backhand cross-court as well because he can take the ball early and kind of you know work the point that way. Manorino is really the typical country club player if you're you know, you've played tennis. You know that guy who just, you know, the beautiful ground strokes just kind of sits back there and slaps. Uh, but Tiafo played really well. I mean, distance covered 43 feet per point. Manorino, 43.6. Tiafo made this match a track meet, and given his physicality, given his footwork, given his speed, that's the type of match he needs to play to win. And in this match, that's what he did. And so it was so impressive. Um, you look through the other notable results on the day. You know, Federer wins in straight sets, Zverev wins in straight sets, Chilich in straights, Goffin in straights, Karino Boost in straights, Schwartzman in straights, Pui in straights, Nishikori in straights. You know, none of those top 21 guys really tested it all on the day. And so I guess that's promising if you're moving forward and you want to see some good tennis these next few rounds. All of these top guys are still around, so that's definitely a good thing. Uh, we did have one seed lose. Julian Benito takes out Marco Cecchinato. Cecchinato hasn't won a Grand Slam match since that French Open run. Uh, Benito wins 2-6-7-6-6-3-6-4. Considering he's one of those guys pondering retirement after this season, it's nice to see someone like that get a win. Uh, Chung, actually, this Chung-Barankis match, it was one we talked about a little bit on the pod as well. If Barankis was six feet, he would be a top 10 player in the world. Unfortunately, he's not. His firepower was great for the first two sets, but again, he wore down. And for Chung, great to see him rally back. He really could have lost that second set. I think he was down a break, and Barankis served for the set, and Chung got the break back and, you know, wins the next two sets, 6-0, 2-0 before the retirement. So he really had taken control. It's a, a, a good win from him. Uh, Gasquet wins in straights. Kyrgios messes around in the second set, but ends up winning 7-5, 2-6, 6-4, 6-2. Oh, another seed did lose. Matthew Ebden takes out Krajinovic in five with, again, another retirement. 
Uh, in, on the American front, you got a win from Tennis Sandgren in straights, while Tim Smichek and Noah Rubin ended up coming up a little bit short. Uh, for Rubin in particular, obviously that loss hurts. That's my guy. Uh, but, you know, he came out a little bit slow. Uh, it was great to see him rally, take that third set, and then he really could have won that fourth. Uh, it was a 7-6 fourth set, and if it gets to a fifth, who knows? But still, uh, tough loss for him. And then you had Kalamazoo champion Jensen Brooksby losing in straights. Uh, I mean, he just he lost 6-4, 6-2, 6-0. You could just tell physically he wasn't there yet, but a lot of promise in his game. Other guys, you had Laszlo Jir taking out Leonardo Mayer, Souza taking out Granolers. A lot of success on the French front. Uh, Monfils taking out Bagnus, Pear taking out Novak, Mahout taking out Mute, Herbert taking out Bambury. You had Cole Schreiber knocking out Hanifman in a long four-set match. If you have time and you want to watch a replay, that's a sneaky good one to watch. Uh, Bagdadis takes out Yuzny, 6-4-6-4-2-6-3-1 retirement. Diminuer takes out Taro Daniel, 0-1-2. That's a guy, you know, we talked about a lot in our preview podcast, Rothman, Stokowiak, and I, about being excited about his upside. And a result like that, you definitely take notice. Um, the young Spanish player, Munar, takes out Bamomans. And then the young play, Polish player, Herkacz, takes out Trevaglia, uh, 6-2, 2 retirement. And so those are our results on the day. Uh, you talk about the best performers. I went with Tiafos Virev, and then anyone selling sunscreen at the site because it was hot as hell, and you know people were running there. Um, in terms of biggest disappointments, you know, not too many disappointing results today. Again, a lot of seeds took care of business, so... You know, disappointed that so many people probably had to retire, but still, it's so tough to battle those elements out there. Chechenato, a guy who should probably be doing a little bit better than he is now. Um, I, I don't know who else I'm really disappointed in. I, I suppose Manorino has to be disappointed, but I, I think Tiafa just played really well. I, I guess if you're Michael Mo, you're disappointed, but again, that was a great match. But still, a lot of successful results. Uh, it was a great day of tennis, I, I think, all around. You know, really enjoyable, and if that's a preview of what's to come later on in this U.S. Open, we're certainly in for a treat. But all right, with that, you know, again, you'll get to hear our discussion on this podcast, myself, Jamie McDonald, Max Fligner, about the effects of the heat on the players in day two, uh, and, and then breakdowns for both the Novak Djokovic match and the Michael Moe match. So with that, I hope you enjoy our day two recap podcast. Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Crack Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin, and the reason I'm chuckling so soon is because that is a different introduction than I am used to. We are bringing back a Max as a co-host of this podcast, but it's a different Max than we're used to. Joining us today, it is our super producer, Ivy League champion, and as we've mentioned, full-time chemist maximilian ofliegner maxi hey great shot uh it's been a while since anyone reminded me that i am an ivy league champion so i I appreciate that you don't watch the video every day like i do with the nationals video (laughs) i feel like you do yeah oh no i watch it not every day but more than i'd care to admit (laughs) like for sure (laughs) and yeah but it's it's great to be back on uh i've missed bantering with you guys i hope i can keep up with you argument for argument because you know obviously i don't watch as much tennis as you 
it is good to have you back and obviously we had we were talking about Novak Djokovic today we couldn't do a podcast about him without bringing you on so it is great to have you back in the booth also join that's really the only reason I'm here but (laughs) to talk about joke well yeah we need our our certified Djokovic you're our Craig O'Shaughnessy who if you follow tennis Twitter that was an inside tennis Twitter joke so yes it's good to have you back also joining us on today's podcast it's Denison men's tennis superstar, the king of the one-handed forehand slice, uh, cracked rackets contributor, man with way more chest hair than I expected for a guy his height. It's our very own James Foster McDonald. Jamie, hey, great shot. We haven't even met in person, but that's fine. Yeah, but you chose to go shirtless for our blue jeans today, and I see a patch. There's a landing no, strip at the very least. I- all right, it's because I had to turn my AC off, but that's a whole other story. So, anyway. <laughs> no, I like it. You just want to really sympathize with the players on the court. You also want to sweat. Yeah, give me I the appreciate heat that rule. about you. I'm going to need yeah. a 10 minute. I'm about 75% of the way through this, I'm going to need a 10 minute break. So, you're going to say every gonna two match breakdown. Every two match breakdowns so will let you take one off. And we call that it. the Fliegner rule around here. Right. Uh, but yeah, that, that you know, I, I'm happy to have you. You didn't like that one, Fliegner? As in, you, you comment I just, on I don't really get things. it. Because you comment on every, like, two things, and then you'll go silent for a little bit, and then you'll uh, hop yeah. back in. Okay. And... All right, all right, all right. So the digs are starting early. All right, all right. I was going to say, you're producing, so definitely leave that joke in, because give me a <laughs> laugh track or something. But yeah, you know, Jamie, it is great to have you on. We have so much, you know, even beyond the heat, it was an extraordinary day at the U.S. Open. A lot of great play out on the grounds. Before we talk about the action, you know we have to start out with a little bit of housekeeping. If you missed anything from the first two days of the U.S. Open, you want to catch up on the scores, you want to know who played when, you want to, you know, to help you figure out your replays, you want to see how our CR fantasy teams are doing because we had guys on the website pick teams, see who can accumulate the most points from their team. You know, all the coverage you could want, go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. We've got a terrific group of writers, Alex Gornett, Ryan Cardiff, Stokowiak, Anna Brown. Right, Parson Amani, Beautres. It is really all hands on deck at the Cracked Rackets team, and so we will be with you for these two weeks. So, you know, just set us as your homepage, and you'll be sure not to miss any of the coverage. Also, you know, follow us on social media for the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We'll be updating those all day long to keep up with the play, let you know what's going on on the grounds at all times. And also, you know, if you haven't, Go check out our newest feature, the, the CR Live, or as we like to say from Bonachores, you are listening to, to the CR Live. Uh, you know, be sure to check that out because it, it was really great, the access we got. Obviously, a lot of those videos from our Stowe Mountain Lodge classic experience. You know, I'm, if you haven't seen it by now, really go check that out because it was a ton of fun. And, you know, you may not get to see Jamie's chest hair, but you'll certainly get to see my eyebrows, and that more than makes up for it. So I'm sure you'll like that. And last but not least, if you haven't already, go listen to, subscribe, rate, review our two podcasts, the Crack Interviews podcast as well as the Great Shot podcast. We did a way too long breakdown into this year's Wimbledon men's singles draw, breaking down all four quarters individually, brought on a host of guests there. It was great. We had Ty Kwiatkowski. We had Alex Gornett. We had Matt Stokowiak. I don't think I'm missing it. Oh, yeah, we had Jamie McDonald, obviously, for part one. That was a ton of fun. Uh, and, you know, if you want to know what the draw is looking like, what we expected, you'll enjoy those podcasts. you also enjoy our daily recaps, which we'll be bringing to you 
for the entirety of this event. So as we mentioned now, this is day two. But after this, we'll be going every other day, not recording a podcast till the entire round is finished. It's just really hard. There's so many matches in the first round, and we want to talk about a lot of them. But we don't want to do a three-hour pod. You know, we try and keep the limit at two. So we divided that first round up. But yeah, again, rate, review, listen, subscribe, steal your friends' phones, subscribe on their phones. Everyone will appreciate it. But with that said, but... With that said, there is a ton of tennis to talk about from our day two at the U.S. Open. You know, we've already joked about this in the introduction, but I really don't think we can talk about the play without setting the scene for our listeners first. If, like Jamie, like myself, like Max Rothman, you were at work all day and you didn't get a chance to see the matches live, you only got a chance to follow on the scores, you wouldn't get to see the fact that they instituted the heat rule early on in the day. And if you don't know what the heat rule is, is players are afforded a 10-minute break to go inside, go in the AC, relax, if they go to a fourth set or first further in their match and so Jamie I'll start with you um I mean only a fool would say the heat didn't play a a momentous factor in today's play right every match you could saw in every match you could see these players were feeling the heat yeah absolutely I mean it completely affected every single match um you know obviously some more than others in terms of starting time um and just you know what court you're on all sorts of different factors but at the end of the day it was something that infected people incredibly. And you saw it. You saw it on their faces. You saw it in how much just sweat just came dripping off of the players. It was pretty nuts. Um, but it really shows off the physicality of the game as well and how much it really takes to stay on there, uh, on the court, hours and hours um, to get the job done. And so especially for those matches that went deep into fourth and fifth sets, you know, it was, it was a big factor. Well, you know, Ty Tucker on the Cracked Interviews podcast, head coach for Ohio State, you know, name drop there, but... He, he mentioned one of the things he'd like to see in the game, you know, kind of increase the sex appeal. He was talking about how he'd like to see the tighter shirts because, you know, these guys are athletes. And throughout the day, you could see these guys are athletes. You cannot question the toughness of these tennis players anymore. And I hate that because there were so many retirements, which we'll talk about later on, people will begin to question these players, say they aren't mentally tough. And in fact, Jamie, you and I had a conversation before this podcast when we were preparing where we had a debate similar to that. And, you know, I want to give you, Fleener, a chance to comment on that debate. But still, you know, these guys were schwitzing like crazy. It was unbelievable. The sweat was everywhere. Tiafo was dripping off of his shirt. I mean, these guys were really feeling the effects of this weather. And only, you know, again, it was evidently clear you know, the elements played a big factor in today's play. And we could use that as our transition to talk about Novak Djokovic because he was certainly affected by the heat early on in his match. But Flinger, before we talk about that, I'm just curious because you talk about, you know, these guys are aware, you know, they they read weather reports. They all have phones. They have the weather app. You know you're going into a 95-degree day. And I guess... My question to you is, one, how would you prepare, you know, for a match like that? What does it look like as you're preparing to battle the elements for that long? And then part two, to these guys who did cramp out, do you think that's a testament to them not being properly prepared? And I know it's a case-by-case basis, but still, is that them not being properly prepared? Or do you just think, you know, on any given day, no matter how much fitness you do, sometimes the elements just get to you? I mean— I know that, you know, when we were preparing for NCAAs this past year, like we go from, you know, cold weather basically to going down south to, you know, play in wherever Texas and North Carolina or something. So we'll, we'll practice in like long pants or something if we know that, 
you know, we're going to need to sort of overcompensate for... Really? That's what you guys do? That's yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah. I like we'll that. Do, yeah, we'll do stuff like that. Um, but there, to be honest, there's not a whole lot you can do to prepare for a 96-degree day. I mean, that is absurd. Like, I don't know if I've ever played in 96-degree weather. You, there's no way to stimulate. Uh, stim- there's no way... There's no way to simulate those conditions beforehand. I mean, like, a, a, you know, apart from going crazy, you just go to Florida. <laughs> yeah, I mean, down there for a week. Why well, have that Orlando training center if you're not going to use it? Oh, I don't know. So, Jamie, getting back to the, what we talked about earlier, the counterpoint to this, are these players soft? Like, do you think it was just a, a terrible occurrence? Or like Fleener saying, I mean, how do you prepare for a 96-degree day? Because we've all, as tennis players, you've played a tournament in the summer. No, it's not a f-ing U.S. Open match. So, of course, you're not going to be able to stimulate that sort of competition. But we've all played in hot temperatures. That, that's just part of playing tennis. I don't know. Fleener just said he doesn't know if he'd ever played in a match that was 96 degrees, which I think is ridiculous. At least being from... Yeah, that, that can't be That's true. insane. There's no way that's true. But anyway... I don't know what. Fleener, if you came to Schoolcraft once during the Joe <laughs> B days, you would have played on those 97 degree court. They literally get hotter as the day gets later. It's unbelievable. Like, it's like, oh, you lost the ground stroke game. You're going to do push ups on the scolding rock just to make sure you learn your lesson. So, you've definitely played high level. I mean, those times at Losser with Armando, Armando, like, tell me that wasn't. Uh, a thousand that's degrees true outside. i did play uh 14th hard courts in san antonio in august so <laughs> yeah you're probably right but listen these guys are playing at the highest level of the game uh you know they're look these guys training regimens are as hard as anyone's they're professionals they know what they're doing uh i i'm not going to come out here and say that they're soft but Look, obviously, some guys are better prepared than others. You know, we'll, we'll obviously talk about Djokovic, but he was struggling, and I think he he willed his way through it. Um, sorry if it sounds like I'm sucking his already, but, you know, that's just what I think. Well, I, I like you better than Max Rothman already because that provides a much more natural segue into our first match breakdown You're of welcome. this round. Let's talk about number six seed Novak Djokovic's 6-3-3-6-6-4-6-0 win over Martin Fuksovic, who didn't play poorly. I don't think it's fair to say you know he did anything particularly poorly, but still, as this match progressed, it seemed like Novak was the one who not only did his level rise, but it seems like he really weathered the elements much better of the two players. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know, I think that's fair, and I think you, you point to the mental toughness of someone like Djokovic, someone who's won that many titles at a high level, you know, even watching Just the match. Just one Wimbledon. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. It's one of those things, especially he does, you know, he does drop that set. Um, and I think some people really worried about it just because we haven't seen the consistency of Novak Djokovic that we did in 2015, 2016. But, you know, it's still Djokovic. And I still did not think he was going to lose this match. Like you said, willed his way through it. Like, that's what he was going to do. And maybe he was a little dramatic about it and like, oh, no, like it sucks to be out here, which I'm sure it did. Um, but in my mind, he was always going to win that match and just push himself through. So that, that, to me, was more of a mental case. So two messages I got throughout the day, both from Max's, was Max Rothman, who texted me 
Oh, vintage Djokovic. He's pulling at his ankles, or he's pulling at his quads. He's he's pretending to be injured. Like, this is typical him when he goes down. That's a text he sent me in the second set. And then we have Max Fliegner's responses, who first set's like, oh, Djokovic learned to volley. And to his credit, Djokovic in this match, 15 of 21, 71% at the net. Didn't need to do too much moving forward because eventually he could work Fuksovic side to side and force him into an error. But still, you like to see that efficiency from him early on. Uh, but Fligner, to uh, to that point, you know, you I feel like you experienced the emotions of this match <laughs> just as much yeah. as Yelena Djokovic, just as much as Novak himself. Uh, talk me through what you saw from Novak's level, the negatives, the positives, and how you think he... Their, this experience, you know, being tested early helps him or hurts right, him. First of all, forward. I think Djokovic has smashed a racket in probably three or three or four I consecutive know. tournaments. How great was that? So, hey, great you shot my to, first, to my, my boy Nole for smashed, smashing like literally four rackets in a row. I mean, my first thought when he smashed it was, God, I hope Rothman has our cracked rackets charity on the ground <laughs> and you can get Novak yeah. to send that to him because that'd be fucking dope. Um, but. All right, so positives. Look, he came out of the gates storming. I actually said to my sister who was watching with me, I think this is going to be a vintage Djokovic, like, 1-2-0 and match, you know, like we used to see, the Djokovic of old. Obviously, you know, I, I ate my words there, but he came out looking as strong as ever, and I think, you know, like you said, the elements probably equalized the match a little bit. You know, they were both struggling with it, and... Uh, I think, you know, there's a big turning point in the uh, third set where Djokovic was down a break, um, you know, scrapped out a game to break back, showed a little bit of positive energy. And from there, it was just, you know, smooth sailing. You know, he he won the the third set on an absurd point where uh, I think Fusovic, you know, had an overhead. Djokovic got it back and was just running all over the place. And so, I mean, in terms of, you know, negatives... I think we've covered it already. So, you know. Well, you talk about Djokovic moving everywhere, and you look at the d- total distance covered. The highest numbers I've seen all tournament are Djokovic and Fuksovic in this match. Djokovic, 42.3 feet per point. Fuksovic, 47.4. I mean, despite the heat, Novak turned this into a physical match. And no one yeah. beats him on a hard yeah. court when he's playing like that. That is the style of tennis he needs to play. It's actually interesting... I think Michael Moe has that same physicality about his game. I think in his match with Fognini, when he was able to impose that physicality, that's when he had the most success. But getting back to this match specifically with Djokovic, again, he moves uh, 42.3 feet per point. That is a lot in that heat. And you look at their average serve speeds. Neither guy is above 90 on the second, 90 miles per hour for Fuksovic, 88 for Djokovic. But even worse, first serves 109-108 average speeds. I mean, the heat is getting to them. So, Jamie, you know, you're looking at Djokovic. What are the things he can build on from this match moving forward? Well, I think I I sort of alluded to it earlier, but I think it's relying on his mental toughness to get him through matches. I think he needs to realize more. And, you know, he probably does to a large degree, so maybe not more. But I think he needs to keep in the back of his head that, you know, even when the conditions suck, you know, even if someone seems to be playing to a much higher level than maybe we've seen in the past – you know what, I'm still Novak Djokovic. I've won 13 of these 
I can win this and I will. And I think that's eventually what you saw. He just wore, he just he just wears his opponents down and I think he's gonna continue to do that throughout this draw. And even when he starts to struggle a little bit, um, I'm, I'm one of the last ones to sort of abandon him in terms of, you know, like, oh, this is where he goes down. You know, I, I've seen it a lot of times and I think we all have with Novak. He looks like he's struggling a little bit and then he pulls it out. Um, and so whether that's sort of a gimmick in terms of being dramatic with, you know, like like you guys said, you know, pulling at his quad, you know, maybe acting un, like off balance or, you know, all the things that he may do. You know, a lot of those, I think, are mentally controlled by him. And you know what? He's got his attitude, and he knows he can win, and that's what he did today. Well, I think Djokovic's kids are a testament to the fact that he doesn't always pull it out. But Fligner, you can leave that joke in or not if you want. Uh, Yikes. (laughs) Well, then give me a laugh track, too. (laughs) But you look at the things Djokovic can't replicate moving forward. Uh, first serve percentage, 59%. That's just not going to cut it when you're playing better returners. Uh, again, that average first serve speed at 108, that's concerning. You'd also like to see in the heat, when you're playing a guy who's not damaging you much from the ground. Yeah, Fuksovic's had moments, but still. I'd like to see Djokovic move forward more than 21 times over a course of a four-set match. You know, you do the math there. He's moving up, up like five and a quarter times per match or per set. You know, you'd like to think he goes to the net more than that. But still, again, he makes this match a track meet. You know, he holds Fuksovic's only a 41 win percentage on Fuksovic's second serve. That's Djokovic imposing his will, reminding us he's the best returner in the game. You know, it's a first-round match. It's a long tournament. You, you should never put too much stock into one showing. But yeah, if you're Djokovic, after, after this match, you've got to be feeling okay. You, you know, you ground it out. At one point, you have Fliegner, you have Rothman concerned you're going to be upset and then that's not the case. You turn it around. You end up getting that fourth set bagel. Probably, uh, uh, you know, a quiet, confident night in the Djokovic household. But okay, on that note, let's move on to our second match. You know, despite this result, not my favorite result of the day, but definitely my favorite tennis played of the day. That's yeah. Fabio Fognini, the 14 seeds, 4-6, 6-2, 6-4, 7-6 win over American next-gen player Michael Moe. Uh, you know, Jamie, I predicted this as an upset in our in our uh, pre you know our mega yeah. preview podcast just two days ago. For a while there, I felt pretty good about the pick, and you know, this is one of those times. Even though I was wrong, I don't feel too bad about it because this was a great match. Yeah. No, I wouldn't feel too bad about it. Normally, I would say you should feel bad about your dumb picks, but no, this one was actually pretty solid. And one thing I think my biggest takeaway from the, this match is just like. It didn't look like, you know, a young next-gen and a veteran. You know, this looks like just a match, a good match at a Grand Slam. And that was, was what was most impressive to me. You know, there wasn't, you know, someone blowing someone off the court. You know, this was a solid match. It went four sets. Like, the tennis itself, each point was, like, there were grinding points. You know, Mo didn't get burned This off was a grind court. Exactly. Like, For people who like guys who are out there exact- and will put balls in play and play consistent tennis, this is the match yeah. aesthetically for you. Yeah. I agree. And uh, so that was just refreshing for me to see, and I think that's just a step in the right direction 100%. And, you know, he made Fonini hit winners. I mean, that, yeah, that's, that is what he does, but he still made him do it to get him off the court, so... 
Well, I think Fognini's ratio of 55 winners to 46 unforced errors is a testament to his level of play in this match. The guy, it doesn't matter the, you know, the depth of Moe's ground strokes. He's standing, you know, on the baseline or just a li- he's either standing on the baseline and taking balls on the rise or he's 10 feet behind it and just scrambling side to side. Again, this match had anything you could want. Uh, Fognini is a brilliant shot maker. Moe is one of, if not the best athletes on tour already. And yes, I am confident saying that with his combination of strength, size, and speed, I just think, you know, it's rare you see that, particularly out of a guy who's 20 years old. It's unbelievable. And no, I'm not happy with Moe's winner to unforced air count. You know, he has 24 winners against 46 unforced airs. But I thought when Moe played his best in this match is when he was, again, it's it, it's literally push tennis at a highest level. He was pushing. He was just saying, I am not going to miss a ball. I'm going to hit, you know, I, when he got into backhand slice battles, that's when he started f***ing up. Uh, but when he's saying, I'm going to drive the ball, I'm going to stay solid on the baseline, move Fognini side to side, make Fognini pull the trigger, not provide any pace. Because when you provide Fognini pace, you're just, you know, you're f- because it's it's a loaded weapon ready to go off and you're just providing him the ammunition. Uh, but in this case, you know, Mo, so physically impressive in this match. He has a first serve, in my opinion, that's ready for the tour. I don't know what he, or not ready for the tour, I should say, but is, you know, ATP 250, ATP 500 match level ready. It should keep him in every match he plays moving forward. You feeling a little angsty today? You're, you're, you're cursing a lot. It's just because it's, it's just a quack fest. <laughs> yeah. It's honestly, I, I'm just trying to impress you since you're, yeah, you're you back just on wanna, the pod. Yeah, exactly. To make you just want to give me more to so do. Ja- yeah, absolutely. But so, Jamie, and, uh, you know, one thing I actually want to add to that previous rant, uh, you look at the net points in this match. I was texting with the Cracked Rackets writer and friend of ours, Matt Stachowiak, talking about how Michael Moe was coming forward more than I had ever seen him do before. And Sometimes he would come in on you know smart opportunities more so than he would in the past, but sometimes he would just hit the stupidest approach shots like right down the center and just get Lee Fognini an easy pass. And I think his 14 of 31 conversion rate at the net, only 45%, I think that's a testament to that. I don't know. That was a long rant for me. Uh, Jamie, you were shaking your head a lot during it. So what did I get right and what did I miss? Oh, during what part? I was shaking my head during most of it. Mm-hmm. But no, I think I think that's pretty <laughs> fair in that last uh, that last little nice little analysis you gave of the uh, the net points there. I mean, the thing for me is, yeah, that stat line is pretty bad. And I, I, I think at a certain point he was just trying to apply pressure to Fonini, which, you know, makes sense. You know, he just didn't want to sit back and hit balls all day. And, you know, it, I don't know. I think it was a strategy tactic. You know, did it pay off? No, but I think he got some good points out of it. Yeah, probably did it incorrectly and came off, came in off of balls he shouldn't have at some points. But you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I think that's just a player trying to make it, trying to make a tactical move, and yeah, that's what happens. I like to see that from Mo too. I know he wasn't uh, executing or necessarily coming in on the uh, the right shots, but it's nice to see that he's starting to recognize that he needs to be a little more aggressive. You know, he's got some big ground strokes, as we already know, but, you know, it it gets to a point where, you know, being really solid and having a big foreign isn't enough to achieve the highest level. And so, you know, you got to have that all-around game. So the fact that, you know, he took the first set off a veteran player um, and, you know, he's playing probably a more all-around, more uh, aggressive style game, I think that bodes well for his future. 
Well, I, I think the other thing, the reason I keep harping on this fact, yes, moving forward is always a benefit to someone's game. I've said it for Taylor Fritz a million times. The second he learns how to volley, watch out ATP Tour. But I think the thing with Mo, and we talked about this in terms of the heat, Mo's an IMG kid, right? He grew up yeah. in that heat, the swampy 96 degrees. And I think more so than any player I saw today, he was the one most comfortable in the elements. And Fognini was really pressing him side to side. Fognini was waiting for the exact right ball because he knew he was going to get it from Mo eventually you know, to take off on. And to Fognini's credit, that's why he won the match because he picked the right spots. But Mo, in that fourth set in particular, really made the match a physical battle. And it was, in a way, he made it physical in a way a Murray does, a Djokovic does. I'm not saying to that extent, don't be ridiculous, but I'm saying he brought physicality into the game. And for a 20-year-old to be doing that already, like, just imagine when this guy is 26 years old. Like, what is he going to look like as an athlete? It's going to be incredible. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Um, and like I said, my biggest takeaway from this is just mostly positives from Mo. And yeah, in terms I of agree. what you're just talking about, it's just like he was able to battle with him out there. He was able to push someone like Fonini, who's a very tough opponent, especially when he's actually locked in and focusing like he was. You know, so that's that's a great takeaway for me. That's just a huge positive that he was actually able to push someone like that in a match like this. Completely agree. And I don't know, Fligner, if you have any parting thoughts, if not, no, I'm ready to move on. Let's move on. on. 